2: In non-COVID years is the Bills' color guy with Murph in the play-by-play booth on the Buffalo Bills Radio Network. So Eric Wood will join us at 10.30. Mike Giardi, uh, or Michael Giardi, I should say, of NFL Network. Uh, he's been covering the Bills the last two weeks in the playoffs for NFL Network, so we'll bring him in. At, that's at the 11 o'clock hour to talk about the matchup, talk a little bit about the Bills and the Chiefs. 11 11.30, we've got ESPN anchor and Bills superfan, Kevin Connors, he's going to join us at 1130 uh, before he's got some uh, some afternoon basketball to cover over at ESPN. And then at noon, another ESPN and a favorite of mine, Marcel Louis-Jacques. He's the Bills beat reporter for ESPN NFL Nation. He'll join us at noon for your lunchtime. And then Breland Moore, uh, one of my favorites and uh, former Western New Yorker. She covered uh, sports in Rochester over the last couple of years and then last year made a move to Kansas City to cover the Chiefs in. And Kansas City Sports for KCTV5. Um, so she's going to join us at 1230 30. She was part of the Super Bowl run her first year in Kansas City last year, Uh, fitting that uh, in the second season of of her in Kansas City, she'll be uh, covering the team that uh, she formerly covered while she was here in Buffalo. So we'll talk to Breland um, at 12.30. And then the one I think all of us are probably waiting for, I know I am, at 1 p.m., Brian Baldinger of NFL Network and Fox Sports, Baldy Breakdowns on Twitter. He joins us at 1 p.m. We're going to talk a lot about Buffalo. We're going to talk a lot about Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs and Matt Milano. So uh, stick around this afternoon, and of course, if you miss any of these, uh, or or and and before I even tell you that, one thirty as well, tie done of the Go Long. Uh uh, he's got a great, 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 great subscription um, to uh, what I think is right now some of the best pieces that you can find from an independent um, writer. So Ty Dunn is going to join us at 1.30. He came out with a piece this morning. and uh, Well, he posted it yesterday but retweeted it this morning about Isaiah McKenzie. did a feature on him, the Bill's secret weapon. So we'll talk to Di- Ty Dunn at 1.30. So just a reminder, if you miss any of, of these guests today and into the afternoon, and that includes whoever the uh, the DBSE brothers have at 2 p.m., Of course, you can visit us at WGR550.com and on-demand audio and check us out there. I do want to quickly move over here and grab my mouse so that I can grab a phone call because we've got Walter in Toronto who's hanging out on hold. And, Walter, I'll start the show this morning with you. Uh, Happy Saturday to you. And uh, what are your thoughts for tomorrow's game?
3: Thanks, Nate. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Just, uh, I think, uh, talking to my buddies on on our hockey team, uh, the Manthers, we're in our general uh, idea is I think the Bills have to put a lot of pressure on uh, on Mahomes. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think they blitzed him once in that regular season game, and and I understand the the game plan then. But I think the game plan now has to has to has to definitely put pressure on him. We'll see we'll see where that toe takes him, and and we'll see uh, how mobile he is. I know that 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 is a little bit of a risky proposition, but I. I think uh, that was successful against Jackson, and, and that has to happen with Moles. And as far as the offense, I think we just got to put the the gas pedal right down and keep it down all game. Just air it out, air it out, and uh, sort of uh, last uh, last possession wins the game. Yeah. I'm wondering about your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, Walter. Well, first and foremost, I've got to acknowledge the your your. Your, your hockey team name, the Manthers, is very good, and thank you for sharing your team name with That's us correct. today. Uh, so I appreciate that. Um, and secondly, to your point about Mahomes and getting pressure, yes. Um, in short, the answer. I, I think getting pressure on Patrick Mahomes, particularly when you can rush four, is really where you want to be, but I, I don't think, Walter, to your point, in the first matchup, no. The Bills did not blitz Patrick Mahomes, and the Bills were one of the top, I think they were the fifth most blitz-happy teams defensively in the league. So this is not a defense that likes to sit back on its heels and let the offense dictate the pace. Yet, that was really their game plan going into that Week 6 matchup against the Kansas City Chiefs the first time around in their 26-17 to 17 victory. And if you are a Bills fan that says, maybe we look back at that game and say, well, the Bills held the Kansas City Chiefs to 26 points. I would consider that a win and we need your offense to play better and we need the offense to do more. And and I, you know, I think I probably sit in that group as well. Um, you know, in that game in week six, Josh Allen starts that game three of 11. He's got 78 yards going into the second last drive of the game. Um, so yeah, like, I, I, and, and here's the thing, and, and, and Walter, your, your, your point about trying to pressure Mahomes, um, forcing him to become mobile, we don't exactly know. And now, now, the story this week has all been the lead-up of the concussion and concussion protocol, and was Patrick Mahomes going to clear concussion protocol in time to play and start against the Bills in the AFC Championship game? If you thought otherwise, if you thought he wasn't going to play, I I don't know what to tell you. I I mean, he was going to play from the second the last whistle blew in the Cleveland Browns game. Patrick Mahomes was getting himself ready for Sunday.
0: If you watch any like on-field footage of him during a game, he's a maniac. Yeah, like he's extremely hyped up. He's always in his teammates' faces. He's extremely positive. He's always amped up for a game. Like he's a wild competitor.
2: Wild competitor. The one thing too, I that you know. I noticed from the game last week, and Eric Turner and I were, were watching this, and Eric Turner and I, um, we, dis- we determined that, of course, the concussion, whether or not it's actually a concussion or was a concussion, I don't know. Um, Walter's point about making him move spoke to me from some of the things that you watched in that game prior to halftime, and then obviously he gets hurt soon after coming out of the tunnel at halftime. But one of the things you noticed in that first half was there was a play, and they showed it, but you couldn't quite see what he did. You don't know if it's his toe or if it's his foot, but he hurts his left foot. And there was a couple of plays where he's scrambling, He scrambles. He's definitely not running full speed. You can see that he's laboring, and he's not putting all of his weight on that left foot. He gets tackled, or he slides, and when he's getting up, he doesn't put any weight. He actually awkwardly props himself up in order to not put weight on that foot to get himself up. The natural thing he would have done was to put his foot down, use his left foot to get himself up like he probably does... Every single time that he's ever done that without thinking. But the fact that he's thinking about it. The fact that he's awkwardly trying to get himself off the ground without potentially hurting or placing extra weight on that foot. I'm intrigued. I'm interested. And in that game, he goes to the locker room where he likely gets some sort of injection. He comes back out and you don't really see the same laboring on that foot. Um, I also, if he doesn't get an injection, maybe it's, you know, the adrenaline. I don't know. But what what I'm saying is, I'd like to know just how much that foot is bothering Patrick Mahomes. And I think, to Walter's point, the best way to do that is to get him under pressure and get him under pressure early in this game. Force him to move to his right. That's right. To his right. Patrick Mahomes. Now, Here's what we know about both quarterbacks, right? We know that Josh Allen, when he escapes the pocket, and people talk about this, and I don't think there's two quarterbacks that do this better. But you hear the term, you know, playing off schedule or playing outside the, you know, uh the scope of the offense, or um, you know, being able to on the fly, or in or, you know, a lot of people refer to it as scramble rules. But these two quarterbacks do it better than anyone in football, and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen also couldn't do it any more differently. Patrick Mahomes loves to roll out to open the middle of the field for throws across his body. Now, Josh Allen doesn't just never pull those out, but when Josh Allen moves to the right or to the left. He's looking to use an extra offensive player, and what I mean by that is Josh Allen has successfully created a 12th man of sorts on the offense. How? The sideline. His sideline throws essentially create a block or a blockage to the defensive player to get the football. So Josh Allen throws the football on the sideline. He's got three receivers, four if you want to count Cole Beasley, that are absolute. Wizards on the sidelines. I'm particularly thinking of John Brown and and Gabriel Davis when I'm saying this. But those two guys, when they get to the sidelines in scramble rules, it is really hard to defend. But Josh isn't the kind of guy that's, that's beating defenses by rolling out and a lot of times throwing across his body back to the middle of the field because more or less the Bills' scramble rules are get to the sidelines. Those are traditional scramble rules. It
0: really does show the growth of Allen does. to be able to hit those throws with accuracy cuz those are not easy throws to make. Not. You have a very small window to allow your wide receiver to make that catch and Diggs has made them too, like everybody Certainly. does. Certainly. And the reason everybody can is cuz Allen can deliver the ball precisely to make those throws work. So, it's I, that feels more like choice. Yeah, like it's not necessarily that Allen can't do it; it's that the Bills have decided this is our best way to do that.
2: Yeah, and 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 I think more or less it speaks to hit the level of accuracy that Josh Allen plays with on those sideline throws where you're creating a weapon and you're creating leverage against the defense and any time that you can use the field of play to your advantage, I don't think teams use it enough. We talk about back shoulder throws you know, I've talked about at I I don't think we've watched this offense really utilize very much of the back shoulder throw because they use the sidelines in the same way that you would use the sideline on a back shoulder throw as that sort of addition, I don't want to call it additional offensive player as as much as I want to say, you know, uh, it's it's a tool that you can use against the primary defender that puts him in a very difficult or almost impossible spot to defend.
0: Because generally speaking, the defender is, will take that. Like, go ahead, go out of bounds. I'm right. trying to keep you from going into the end I don't want you to go to the
2: middle of the field. And that's what makes what Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense, what they do in scramble rules so unique. But they also have a very unique weapon that exists almost solely in the middle of the field. That's... Travis Kelsey, the Bills don't have a Travis Kelsey, so when you have a player like Travis Kelsey and you have a quarterback with the arm strength and athleticism and ability to throw on the run like Patrick Mahomes, the middle of the field becomes a real weapon and especially against zone coverage, you'll notice this. Go back and and watch any of the the replays of these Kansas City Chiefs games. And the one thing you're going to constantly notice is when he rolls out to his right or his left and he's throwing back to the middle of the field. He's targeting Travis Kelsey. And more times than not, Travis Kelsey is wide freaking open. And why is that? Like, why is he always open? And less of it has to do with, like, You know, pure route running or creating separation at the line of scrimmage, or, you know, not being able to find a player profile or a type of player that can have success against the style of player that Travis Kelsey. It's not about that. What Kelsey does really well is he finds spaces in zone coverage and he knows where to go in a cover four. He knows where to go if you're running Tampa two. He knows where to go if you're in cover three. So if you're going to run those looks against the Chiefs, and you allow Patrick Mahomes to break contain and allow him to get off script and off schedule, he's going to beat the ever-loving piss out of your zone defense. And he does it time and time again. And he'll do it this week if the Bills cannot hem or at least attempt to keep Patrick Mahomes inside the pocket. And I know that sounds crazy because he's the best quarterback in the league. Nate, you're telling me that you want to keep Patrick Mahomes in the pocket? Yes. Because what keeping him in the pocket ultimately can do is it can keep the integrity of your zones. When you start moving Patrick Mahomes out of the pocket and your stopwatch gets past three seconds, four seconds, five seconds and when when he holds on to that ball the longer and longer he holds on to it the the more he can move the more opportunity Travis Kelsey Tyree Hill, Sammy Watkins Nicole Hardman uh I, again I, I, th- these are lots of weapons that I just but the point of my of my rant here is is ultimately the zone you lose the integrity of your zone when 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 Patrick Mahomes can extend plays. You you're, you're guys that let, let's talk about Tremaine Edmonds, right? Tremaine Edmonds is the largest, single largest middle linebacker in all of football in terms of height, and. He has an advantage over smaller middle linebackers getting back to zones quicker than maybe uh, because of his length and his arm length. He's able to sort of get in those passing lanes maybe a half step or full step quicker than some other you know, middle linebackers in football. With that said, this is why play action is so lethal for them. Um, because play action combined with you know the ability to break, contain, and get off script... That becomes very, very difficult for defenses to defend. And the reason is, in zone coverage, you are responsible for an area. And when you're responsible for an area and not a player, it becomes very difficult to maintain that responsibility in a zone when three or four seconds has passed by and you feel helpless because there's nobody around you. So what you start to do is you start to leave your zone. You start to try to find the nearest guy because guys are running open. So it's very important, in my opinion, in this game, the thing that you have to consider as a Bills defense is how in the hell do you keep Patrick Mahomes from extending plays, getting these plays off script, and moving outside of the pocket into his left. He is lethal. He wants to go to his left. He's not like Josh Allen. Allen loves to get to his right, and he's almost unstoppable when he gets outside the pocket throwing to his right. For me, it's Patrick Mahomes to his left. That's really the concern for me this week. Is how do you, how do you contain Patrick Mahomes, and how do you force him to make throws from the right rather from the left? So those are a couple of things that I'm looking for this week against Patrick Mahomes. Walter, thanks for the call, man. You, you kind of sparked a great conversation there um, about this game, and 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 in particular about this matchup. And you know, listen, I, I know we'll talk about this till we're blue in the face, but you know, not having Matt Milano in that Week Six matchup. I, I suspect this is a very, very different game plan. Just a, it, and maybe I'll be wrong. And maybe the Bills, even with a healthy Matt Milano, a healthy Levi Wallace, um, the full complement of defensive linemen at their uh, at their disposal, a fully healthy and a really good playing Tre'Davious White right now, and I think the best safety tandem in the league. You know. I think the confidence also has to be talked about. Their their performance last week against the Baltimore Ravens gave this defense the type of confidence I think they need, that they absolutely needed to have going into this game. Because I don't think they can go into this Kansas City Chiefs game with the same mindset they went into that Week 6 game. They will lose. And, you know, the other thing that I think about in this game is, and this is, and I said this on, on the Kansas City radio station last night. The really cool thing about this matchup, and and I mean this. This isn't me, you know, yes, I know I work for the Buffalo Bills Radio Network. I know we're the radio home of the Buffalo Bills. This is not me talking like a fan or to a fan or telling you what you want to hear. This is a super good, unbelievably super close um, matchup. I mean, you couldn't have asked for, if you were Roger Goodell, if you were to handpick your Final Four, this might be the hand-picked Final Four. Straight up. And, you know, for me, this particular matchup, the margin for error is so small. And it goes both ways. If Kansas City shows up and plays like they did against Arizona in Week 16, the Kansas City Chiefs will lose. If Josh Allen shows up And he's the same quarterback that we saw in Week 6. He starts 3 of 11. And the Bills have, you know, 10 points at halftime. The Buffalo Bills will lose. The margin for error for both of these teams is razor thin. That's a compliment to both the Chiefs and the Bills. But to think about this from the Bills' perspective... Thinking about the fact that if you play your game, if you resemble the team that everyone in this town, in this city, in Western New York has seen for the better part of a month and a half, the team that walked all over the number one scoring defense in football with a playoff berth on the line and hung 56 on them. If that team shows up, the Buffalo Bills will win. That's not satirical. It's not lip service. The Bills have a legitimate opportunity to win the AFC championship game and represent the AFC in the Super Bowl with one win. That's where, we're, that's where we are. And acknowledging that is a truly, truly fun, it's a remarkable, uh, I, it, it, it's a very incredible thing to think about. And for all of you that are watching the national media, one by one, pick off the Buffalo Bills and say that the Kansas City Chiefs are too good. The Bills are really good. And you know what? If the Chiefs don't play well, the Bills are too good for them not to show up. The Bills are too good for the Kansas City Chiefs to look like the Chiefs team that we've seen almost all year. So while we respect what the opponent in this game, the, the, the reigning MVP, the reigning Super Bowl champion, respect is earned and the Kansas City Chiefs have earned it. But I am here today to tell you that with the level of confidence that I feel about this game, it stems from who the Bills are and who Kansas City has not been. And I think that's what gives me this sort of confidence that maybe the national media doesn't have. Maybe the national media looks at the Bills' offense against the Baltimore Ravens last week, and they scored 10 points against the Baltimore Ravens. And they don't think this Bills' offense is as good as advertised. And, and I just have to, I, I, I really, I believe this. I, believe if the, I, I don't believe that either way this game's a blowout in either direction. I think it's a very close game. But where I fall on the confidence scale and what makes me think this Bills team will ultimately have enough in this game to win is because I think the quarterback's been better this year than the quarterback in the other sidelines. I think Josh Allen has been better than Patrick Mahomes this year. And I recognize the torch that has just been that's just been lit. And that is the fiery of all hot takes. And if you told that to a Kansas City Chiefs fan, they'd probably laugh you in your face. But 11 of 12. 12 of 12 without a Hail Mary. A plus 134 point differential. And maybe point differential doesn't always matter. But it matters a little when you consider the context of who the Bills beat. In, in route to that plus 134. So a lot to get to, you guys. But I wanted to open the show by placing importance on the things that are going to matter this week. And keeping and finding a way to slow down Patrick Mahomes is going to be really hard. But the defense that the Bills, that Bills fans saw last week can do it. And I want to hear from Eric Wood, who's coming up next on the Western Hotline to talk a little bit more about this matchup, why he believes the Bills have an opportunity to beat the Kansas City Chiefs and what he predicts will happen come Sunday at 6:40. So, quick time out on the other side. Sports Talk Saturday continues on Eric Wood. Joins the program next year on WGR.
1: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours
2: All right, everybody, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR, our extended coverage of the AFC Championship game. Getting underway this morning at 10 a.m. And a reminder this special playoff edition of Sports Talk Saturday is brought to you by Topps Friendly Markets. Best game day deals in town by Taco Bell. Get your cravings under control with nacho fries at participating Taco Bell locations and by Catalyst Fitness. Activate your life. All Bills, all day. WGR Sports Radio 550. I'm going to the West Her Hotline now because dialed up, I've got Eric Wood joining me here this morning. Uh, e Wood, thank you so much for joining us, man. What an exciting day uh, for Bills fans. Who I know are tuning in and uh, are, are just looking for as much Bills content as possible today.
1: Absolutely, thanks for having me on, Nate. And I, I saw the lineup you got today. Am I batting lead up in all this?
2: You are, uh, and and that that's a compliment to you, man.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I'm glad I don't have to live up to anyone else's hype.
2: Yeah, you know, I would be. It would be. It's a tough spot for Tyler Dunn, who's following up Baldy later. I mean, that's 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 tough. <laughs> there's there's just yeah, that that's just tough. There's a lot of O line energy that I brought on the show today, though, um, and that's actually where I wanted to start with you, um, Eric, because you know I think. A lot of times in these particular types of games, the quarterback, the wide receiver, the guys that are making you know the the plays that everyone watches on Sports Center, um, they're sort of the the topic of conversation. But one of the things that I really wanted to get your thoughts on are both of these offensive lines, in particular in pass protection, I think are maybe the two one of the two best units um, in all the league. Talk a little bit about you know since John Feliciano has been brought back into this lineup, Eric. They just have. They've permeated a different feel, like a confidence that they didn't have earlier in the season when they were kind of moving in and out of the lineup.
1: Yeah, it's amazing what one guy can do from like almost an attitude standpoint. And John Feliciano is that guy for the Bills. He was last year as well. He's that tone setter. He's the guy that brings the attitude each and every game. And so there was a noticeable difference. It was, good. It was interesting to me. Because a lot is always made of that, and everyone said, yeah, maybe this offensive line gets tougher or a little bit better when John gets back in the lineup, and you think, what can one guy do? Especially since they didn't have any glaring holes in their offensive line before John came back. Um, but he, he did truly make a difference in that first game back. They had him playing guard. He had to move over to center when Mitch left with the concussion, and, and John Feliciano is just a really high-quality player. And when you look at this offensive line, so many returning pieces from last year, but then when you had the uh, injury to John Feliciano, you had Brian Winters in there. Daryl Williams stepped in at right tackle this year. Uh, he, he was the free agent brought in. But a lot of familiar faces, and I think as the season's got on, and this is a Sean McDermott thing, it's that growth mindset continually getting better. They've mixed and matched the lineup um, in different ways besides the two tackles, and what they have now is an offensive line that, A, had to compete for their job. Heck, it, it even seemed at one point Mitch Morse one of the highest-paid right. centers in the league was competing for his job. But now you have guys that have, A, earned their spots and are playing at a really high level of ball. And I've been extremely mm-hmm. impressed, and I'm sure you have as well, Nate, with Ike Bochner at, yeah. at guard. You know, this is a guy, you know, they, they want Cody Ford to be a long-term answer for them at guard, potentially right tackle, but, but likely at guard. But, shoot, Ike Bochner's right. come in, and he's been playing good ball himself.
2: You know, Eric, I've, I've heard you explain sort of the different mentality and mindset between pass protection and run blocking. And if you're an offensive lineman, uh, in particular with this team, and, and maybe that was one of your uh, one of your appearances with, with Chopin Bulldog that I was listening to, and it, it was sort of captivating to me because I don't ever think about it from the perspective of how the offensive linemen necessarily feel. Um, but you know thrust yourself into this offense um you know how difficult can it be at times to be an offense particularly this bill's offense that doesn't run the ball with a ton of regularity
1: so i'd I never played in an offense true like this obviously uh when we had chan Gailey, we threw the ball a lot but fitzpatrick got rid of the ball so fast yeah. that a lot of times it wasn't that hard of an assignment even if they knew you're passing the ball well the Bills run play action, top five in the NFL, their time to throw, isn't one of the fewest in the NFL. So these are guys that have to hold up on every play. And the pass rushers know that they can get home if they, if they rush hard enough and make a move because the ball's not coming out super fast and you're passing the ball at one of the highest rates in the NFL. Uh, so, I, so I asked Deion Dawkins about this recently. I did an Instagram Live with him and just had some fun with him. And I asked him about it. He said, bro, it's tough. You know, they, they know they could tee off on you the entire game, but when you rep it week after week and you get used to it, I mean, these are guys that, that are getting really good at pass protection. But as an offensive lineman, you know going into the game, the only way that you kind of leave the game uh, looking like a fool would be with penalties or sacks. So the more pass plays, the more opportunities you have at giving up sacks. Um, but Josh Allen, one, is extremely good at avoiding rush. They do some creative things in pass pro, too. Um, having their backs and tight ends maybe help out the guys at times. Um, but but they've done a phenomenal job.
2: We got Eric Wood here on the Wester hotline. Eric, one of the things that I've really noticed. Uh, And more and more frequency as of late is just how much Brian Dable is relying on Josh Allen at the line of scrimmage to move in and out of plays. A lot of check with me's. A lot of um, you, you, you hear a lot of communication at the line of scrimmage with this Bills team. And last week, watching the Ravens basically have to just kill communication at the line of scrimmage based on the young center that they had and the crowd noise. Based on what you know about, you know how much. This team relies on Allen to communicate the line of scrimmage. How much do you think seventeen thousand fans really might play in um, to this offense's desire to kind of play on the fly and 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 try to react instead of uh, or, or try to be re, uh, to try to be proactive instead of reactive at the line of scrimmage?
1: That's a, that's a really good question, Nate. And one of the best things about my timing of when I transitioned to the media out of my career is that I didn't play in Brian Dayball's offense. So I never feel like I'm giving I'm, – I'm never giving away the code here. You know what I right, mean? Because right. I never sat in his meeting. This is all my observations from afar. And so um, you're exactly right uh, about there's a lot more communication at the line of scrimmage from this Bill's offense this year. It shows trust that Brian Dayball has in Josh Allen. And the beauty of this season, there's there's a lot of drawbacks of they're not being fans in the stands most weeks. But we've got to hear that communication at home this year, which has been – extremely interesting um and and I'm a football nerd I love the chess match so I've I've loved hearing all of the conversation at the line of scrimmage I don't think 17,000 fans are going to play that big of a role in it um you know it it could and I could be proved wrong um but of that 17,000 I would bet maybe 3,000 are Bills fans so now you have 14 cheering against you you know there may be certain situations but, you know, a lot of times that you're seeing all that communication from Josh Allen, heck, it might be first and ten. They're not, that that, that communication is not going to be affected on a random first and ten in the first or second quarter. But it's amazing to me, Nate, what you can hear this year yeah. when they're sitting at the line of scrimmage and Josh checks the play and then he says, no, no, check it, check it, reload, reload. And you're like, okay, they're going back to the original play. Well, prior to 2020, you don't get to hear that.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's been the especially for football geeks like myself when you know you, when you get the opportunity to watch the All 22 and you get to hear the live calls and you get to hear Josh Allen at the line of scrimmage um, bring guys in and and I think that's been I know a lot has been made of the the zero blitz looks last year and in the beginning of this year that befuddled at times Josh Allen and and the one area I feel he's grown more in than just between the ears and his ability to diagnose coverage. It's his ability to make sure he's protected in order to be able to give himself a platform to deliver a ball. And 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 I guess part of me wants to know from you just how difficult it is for a young quarterback when a lot of times and a lot of teams across the league are still relying on their offensive linemen to handle a majority of that communication on protections up front. But when your quarterback this young can sort of take the reins, what does that mean from the mental processing of an offensive line, when you can focus pre snap more on your job rather than communicating to the rest of your team and the line, you know, what their responsibilities are in a given play.
1: Yeah. And, and to your point, with this being tough for a young quarterback, it's tough for a lot of quarterbacks to handle the protections as well. I always felt that it was better for the quarterback to handle it because then they know exactly where they're hot as opposed to if we're on the road and I'm communicating to the offensive lineman up in front of me or maybe the running back as well the quarterback doesn't always, even always know where he's protected now we he should know if, if he gets you know two rushers from a side he's got to throw hot he's got to get rid of it fast but I always felt like it would be a lot better in an offense if the quarterback handled all that just so he knew exactly where he was protected and he could dictate hey I want to attack this matchup in the secondary so I want to protect myself to this side so that I can get this throw off. Well, if I'm the if I'm the center and I'm handling the protection, I don't know which matchup he wants to go towards. And, and that's kind of like football 401. Um, but the only quarterback that I played with that handled the protections was Kyle Orton. Oh, sorry, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. So Kyle Orton and Ryan Fitzpatrick, they generally would handle all the protections. Every other quarterback that I played with, which was a laundry list, uh, I would <laughs> – handle all the protections, and and that takes something off their plate, and I always actually liked doing it as well. Um, It gave me more of a role, um, makes you harder to get rid of when you're handling a lot of the stuff that's going on, but I I enjoyed that role, Um, but you could tell Josh is doing it this year, and I mean, he brought up a great point. He's protecting himself. He's also the best quarterback in the NFL against the Blitz when you look at passing yards and touchdowns. Now, he's been the most blitz quarterback in the league part of that comes from you play miami twice they blitz uh the second most in the nfl and you play a number of other defenses that are in the top 10 blitz percentage i'm not saying that teams are just attacking josh allen some of that's just the bill's opponents this year but if you flip it over to kansas city as well i believe patrick mahomes has a 120 quarterback rating <laughs> against the blitz uh so you got to be really careful blitzing both of these quarterbacks tomorrow. I think I think we might see some shell coverage on both ends of the spectrum tomorrow.
2: Eric Wood here joining me on the Wester hotline helping me break down some of the X's and O's going into Sunday's AFC Championship game against the Kansas City Chiefs and one of the things I'm I'm really glad you sort of brought up the blitz in this in this particular matchup because I think you have two I mean the matchup, the coordinating matchup in this game between Brian Dable, um, you've got Bienname, and then on the other side, Spagnola and Leslie Frazier. I mean, this is a heavyweight bout. And then, of course, the head coaches. This is a heavyweight coaching bout. And I wonder, you know, we saw Wink Martindale. This was really I, I think says a lot about where Josh Allen is and how he's thought of in the league. Is the the one of the best defenses in football, the Baltimore Ravens, fundamentally, Eric, changed who they were and how they they win, like they changed who they are and how they got to that point in the season by being a blitz-heavy, heavy-man team, and they changed themselves in order to, to to react to the the abilities and where Josh Allen thrives. I mean, I think that says a lot about where the quarterback is. But considering the, the the coordinators in this matchup, I wonder if they won't be able to help themselves in this matchup because these are two guys that you can't just let sit in the pocket and pick you apart.
1: I made the same point earlier in the week, Nate, for Don Wake Martindale to completely abandon what they do defensively. In the divisional round of the playoffs, on a quarterback in 2016 that you cover zero blitzed 16 times and <laughs> destroyed him to the tune of six sacks, a fumble that you recovered, an interception, uh, one touchdown and 160 yards. What, the fact that you didn't even try that is amazing to me. And that, to your point, that is the ultimate sign of respect for where Josh is, this receiving core, and the offense, and Brian Dayball, and everything. Uh, to your point about the coordinators not being able to help themselves, I mean, you're, you, you, everything's on the line, obviously. You, you got a shot at the, the Super Bowl. I'm going to put on my social media here in a bit a play, and I'll tag you in it, Nate. Wait till you see – you didn't see uh, someone leak out last week that they didn't hit this play but did you see in the fourth quarter they're up 17 to three on a pass play who they leaked out down the down the bill sideline was it Ty and secchi no it was Deion Dawkins it's Deion
2: Dawkins okay I, I I knew it was a tackle I think I remember the play they literally designed a, a shot for an offensive tackle oh, <laughs>
3: oh.
1: I was like I, uh so buddy of mine Brian Brom he's the Offensive coordinator of Purdue, he was reviewing the tape and sent it to me. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That's one of those plays, like up two scores, like you might fight the other staff after the game. <laughs> like, but I'm so I, I brought that up because like Brian Dayball has a lot of tricks up his sleeve. And, and some of his tricks aren't like throwbacks to offensive tackle. Some of them are in, in reverse passes and whatnot. Some of them are really subtle um and and to me they're almost like trick plays like um man okay so you had that play to lee uh lee smith in week 17 it's such a great play design and i was like why did they use that there i can't wait something's coming off of that i don't know if it's tomorrow i don't know if it's in the super bowl i don't know if it's week one next year but you didn't put that on tape in week 17 when you didn't need it against the dolphins not to have something coming back off of that,
2: you're so right. and And one of the things, if you watch his if you watch the bill's offense in depth on film and week to week to week, and you you could make a list of base plays you watched him run in week one, the guy holds receipts, Eric. Like he doesn't. Yep. He waits around. He waits for the right scheme. He waits for he'll wait for the right point in the game and he'll call it. And the thing about it is he'll window dress it four different ways throughout the year. And and that's what makes Brian Dable's offense in the Air Perkins system right and the principles of that system and him being in that for so long, Eric. Like he's just able in in a lot of ways to window dress. And what it reminds me of is Andy Reid.
1: Right, you're exactly right. It, it does, and, and and that's a phenomenal point. Uh, I, don't, I didn't come on here to plug my podcast, but my <laughs> podcast, What's Next with Eric Wood, I had Luke Keekly on. Um, we released that one on Monday, and he talked about the – I asked him who the hardest team for him to prepare for was, and he said the Saints because Sean Payton and Drew Brees would give you certain moments in the game, they would give you an exact look that you've already seen just knowing your eyes were going somewhere, but they were setting you up. So he's like, it's a constant chess match of like, can you trust your eyes in this moment and when he was saying that it reminded me of Brian Dayball this year and what he's been able to do with an accurate quarterback with a guy that's developed like Josh Allen with the weapons that he has at receiver it reminded me a lot of Brian Dayball here
2: yeah man I I'm I'm running up against this break. I, I probably could talk with you for another hour about this, but uh,
1: <laughs> I know we we could we could we could have hosted this one together this I, week. Honestly, this is a ton of fun for me. Yeah, um,
2: uh, I've no doubt. A, we I've miss a, you, dude. I mean, it, this it, COVID year sucks, man. It does.
1: I know. I miss seeing you every Sunday morning in the booth and uh, for home games, and uh, we'll do this again soon. But honestly, this was a really enjoyable for me. I've I've done a lot of media hits this week around the country, and I don't get the deep dive quite like this. Uh, with with many national media members, so this was a lot of fun.
2: Awesome, man. Well, I really appreciate it. We'll throw this up on uh, up on the website very shortly. We really appreciate all the insight, man. Enjoy the games this weekend, and uh, we'll be looking forward. Hey, I'm gonna tell you what, we're running this back if if they're playing next uh, in two weeks. We're, we're running this back. Absolutely.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Mark it down.
2: Awesome, brother. Appreciate you. Enjoy the games, and uh, and uh, have a great night. Yep. Sounds good. Go, Bill. Awesome, buddy. Eric Wood there, joining us on Western Hotline. That was. A phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. If you missed any of that, please wgr550.com. Uh, Corey will have it up there, uh, up here shortly. All right, I gotta take a time out because I gotta, I gotta get two breaks in here in the next ten minutes, um, and then we've got more guests coming your way here on WGR. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday. I got Michael Giardi of NFL Network. He's joining us next here on the Wester Hotline on Sports Talk Saturday, so stick around uh, for that. Also a reminder and a quick note from my uh, esteemed colleague, Corey Griswold, uh, Corey Griswold who uh, just informed me that there appears on the Twitter bot uh, to be some stories of uh, some fans heading down to Kansas City for the game. But uh, purchasing... Crappy tickets.
0: Be aware. Always in these situations of high-demand sporting events or other kind of events that you may be exposed to uh, scammers trying to get your cash money, especially because it's been like a year since you've tried to do it. You kind of get a little rusty at the ticket-buying game. Please be conscious that when you're buying a ticket for either this game or the next... That you're getting it from a reputable source. Do some critical thinking skills, folks. That's right. Uh, Don't let the
2: moment get the better of you. All right, quick time out. Michael Giardi coming up next here on WGR.
1: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.